as an artist, or we talked a little bit about jujitsu before and Muay Thai and stuff like that. And as a fighter, as an artist, like you can train as much as you want to, but when it comes to the performance or the fight, everything's unexpected, mm. right? Mm-hmm. The only thing that you can be is ready for war. Mm-hmm. At that moment, yeah. And I'm always ready for war. Huh. <laughs> but I'm also like, also not in a, if you look at the best fighters, they're also not the ones that are like punching really hard or going crazy or even the, the mu- best musicians don't make it look difficult. Mm-hmm. It's effortless. Mm-hmm. It's very mm-hmm. relaxed. Mm-hmm. The best people that are in control of themselves are very relaxed mm-hmm. and very at peace, very mm-hmm. zen. Mm-hmm. And um, I've noticed that the people that have the most control, self-control, emotional control, are the people that are in control of their emotions when they have every right to be upset. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. and if you're able to stay calm huh. when pe- most people would panic or get angry, yeah. that's true strength. Yeah, yeah. My name is Stuart Alsop and this is my podcast, Crazy Wisdom, where I interview creative people about how they work with and integrate the stress that comes from any creative work. What I'm looking for in this podcast is what's called craft wisdom. People who create on a daily basis, who are dedicated to a craft, have insights from years of honing their craft, but they don't have the time or the energy to write or to share these insights. So I see my job as digging into people's lives, digging people into people's way of thinking and finding those gems that only come from them. Today I interviewed Ruben Harris. He started a podcast called Breaking Into Startups. And Ruben is focused on one of these really big challenges in life, what many people call sticky problems. There's a lot of people on this earth. There's some people who have been gifted with an opportunity and with the social circle uh, to basically do whatever they want. And the sticky problem is that there's a whole bunch of people outside who don't know how to understand how to get in to those circles. And Ruben created a podcast where he basically gave all these insider tips to figure out how do we break into this, this thing that's basically guarded by these, these circles, these social networks, and how do we break into those social networks and give these opportunities that the small part of the world has to a larger group. It's really interesting. I highly recommend listening to the whole episode. We have a lot of gems, a lot of wisdom in this episode. Uh, and of course, if you like it, please find us uh, on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast.fm. And if you really like what we're giving, what we're offering here, please give us a review. Thanks. Yeah, so thank you for having me today. Um, as some of you know, my name is Ruben Harris. I've been creating things from a very young age as an artist. Um, ex- well, I've been actually expressing myself from a very young age. And music allowed me to get into several doors. And I learned that as an artist, I needed to um, develop business skills. And so I... Uh, started learning these different things. I worked as an investment banker. I worked at different startups, but then I realized that I actually needed to create things. Um, and something that I had always done was figure out how to get into different doors, um, and like investment banking and uh, like tech. And I decided to create a podcast called Breaking Into Startups that helps other people find out about the technology industry um, and guides them to that initial starting point and points them in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah. And what does creativity to mean mean to you? What does creative expression mean to you? Like when you're at your most kind of like productive or creative, 
what do you feel like? I think that is your worldview on things. Mm. And I think that it's difficult to get into what's right and what's wrong mm. um, because that's always subjective based off of what you've experienced mm. um, or what you perceive. Mm. And so I would say for me, creativity is um, putting something out into the world, whether it's physical or not, that impacts the world in some kind of way. Hmm. An influence. So creating something that then ripples out into other people's lives. Yes. And, yeah. um, how have, who is your favorite creator these days or who is kind of like creating the most influential stuff? That's a great question because last night I was with this guy named Felipe Barros oh. who is a Brazilian designer oh. who's from Eight Heroes who's completely self-taught. And he blew me away because every single presentation that he's made, and I've seen him make a lot of presentations, is actually hand-drawn. And I thought he was using some kind of typography and things like that, but he hand-draws everything. He's a street artist. He knows He's part of this Freebirds community. Mm. Um, and I was so grateful for it um, that I, I met a lot of designers, but he's probably not just one of the most talented people that I've ever met, but his energy mm. is special. Mm. And I would say he's probably one of my favorite creative people that I've connected with, even though I've only known him for a week. Uh-huh. And in your own life, and maybe kind of looking at him and how he, he is creative, what are the things that you do throughout your day that allow you to maintain a level of create, create, creativity? It's a good question. Um, I would say that I always remind myself that there are things that I can control and there are things that I cannot control. And... What's important for me is to uh, be very honest with myself about what I'm doing and that I'm doing my best at that thing. Mm. And if things don't work out the way that I thought it was going to work out, to have the understanding that that was out of my control. Mm -hmm. and That's okay. And it either wasn't the right time mm -hmm. or that I need to get going, mm -hmm. keep going because it wasn't for me. Mm. And that's something I've been working with my meditation teacher recently is just knowing that whatever we do, we have no idea what the repercussions of that will be. So we have an idea, we have an expectation of, okay, this is, this is what I'm going to do and this is my plan and then that's going to work this way. And then when it doesn't work that way, we have no idea what that means, basically. Yeah, and I would also say that like um, as an artist or we talked a little bit about jujitsu before and Muay Thai and stuff like that um, and off the podcast and... As a fighter, as an artist, like you can train as much as you want to, but when it comes to the performance or the fight, everything's unexpected, mm. right? Mm -hmm. The only thing that you can be is ready for war. Mm -hmm. At that moment, yeah. And I'm always ready for war. Uh. <laughs> but I'm also like, also not in a. If you look at the best fighters, they're also not the ones that are like punching really hard or going crazy or even the, the mu best musicians don't make it look difficult mm -hmm. it's effortless mm -hmm. it's very mm -hmm. relaxed mm -hmm. the best people that are in control of themselves are very relaxed mm -hmm. and very at peace very mm -hmm. zen mm -hmm. and um, I've noticed that the people that have the most control self-control emotional control are the people that are in control of their emotions when they have every right to be upset mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yep. and if you're able to stay calm huh. when 
pe- most people would panic or get angry. Yeah. That's true strength. Yeah, yeah. And that's probably the one kind of factor that will lead you to success other than luck, basically. Like yeah. luck will kind of put people who don't have that kind of control in those situations. But yeah. if, if that's the one kind of controllable thing that you can probably accelerate you into that successful state too. hundred percent. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. That reminds me a lot about in yoga, we talk about striving and non-striving yeah. when you're in a yoga pose or when you're in a stressful situation, you, it, if you're striving to like create like, Oh, I'm going to do this or anything like that. And I'm going to like contort myself in this body. It's creating tension, unnecessary mm-hmm. tension. But as you said, but that like that, the, the restful person who's kind of like, non-striving non kind of like let just like seeing all these crazy mm-hmm. things coming in and being just like okay it's happening it's all happening i'm accepting that and i'm gonna keep on doing like exactly yeah. you gotta adapt and interact in any environment like mm-hmm. you told me you lived in brazil mm-hmm. for a year i mean you speak fluently you yeah. didn't know the culture you understood the language mm-hmm. you got to know how people lived mm-hmm. and you got to be able to communicate if mm-hmm. you don't do that you're not going to be able to resonate with people mm-hmm. and i think a lot of people don't spend enough time getting to know each other on that level huh. to be able to do that. Mm, that's cool. And you, we've talked about Brazil before the podcast. What um, what do you see going on in Brazil right now in terms of creativity and like... <laughs> what a great question. Um, so, Nana Maia um, and Moisa, who are the co-founders of A Heroes, I keep talking about them because they've been helping us a lot uh, with breaking startups. They re- they've been, we've been knowing each other for the last two years. Um, I did not realize that Brazil is mostly black. I didn't realize um, how strong their musical and artistic community was. And I did not realize like 40% of the users on WhatsApp are from Brazil. I didn't realize the, the, the entrepreneurial community that was out there and their interest in Silicon Valley, not just there, but the Brazilian community that's here in San Francisco. Yeah. A lot of the drivers I would communicate with spoke Portuguese. The people at the jiu-jitsu gym obviously are Brazilian, so mm-hmm. they also spoke Portuguese. Mm-hmm. And my dad also started teaching himself Portuguese. And I, and all these things started coming together where I was like, dang, like, why why am I being drawn towards uh-huh. Brazil? Yeah. Um, and when I met these people, um, I realized that not only did they, were they creating video for us, mm-hmm. they also produced all of their own music. Yeah. And what was crazy to me about that is I am a musician Mm -hmm. that's working in tech. And I am a believer that we've all been given gifts and superpowers, and it's important for us to not keep them dormant. Um, My musical gift that I've started developing since I was four years old, I have not been able to use it to the fullest ability while I'm in the tech world. I'm, I'm aware that I can't be a jack of all trades and a master of none, but what was beautiful about what they're doing is they're doing corporate education through video storytelling, mm. but also using their gifts of music into their stuff to teach. Mm. Like they were doing video for, I don't to tell their whole story, but they were doing video to teach before that was a thing mm. and also using mu- music to help ingrain educational elements in people's heads. Mm. But going back to the point about creativity and mindfulness and things like that, helping people remember things is very difficult. Mm. And and Brazil, at least these people that I've met in Brazil, have figured out a way Mm. to teach Mm. in various formats in a way that resonates with people. That's really cool. Uh, So I've thought a lot about my meditation and yoga instruction. So I'm, I'm 
going to uh, my main thing that I want to do for my yoga teaching is go to Mexico and teach Mexican yoga teachers how to teach yoga in English. I um, like that. And and so I've got a lot of ideas. Basically, this is the first one in my kind of range of things that I want to do. But the ultimate thing is basically helping people learn faster, accelerated learning through meditation and yoga. Um, I like and that. Music is like a big, is a like very interesting, a interesting thing. I mean, I, I, when I was working at Honor, oh. working with seniors, mm. um, the people that had Alzheimer's did not have the best memories, but if you sing them their favorite song, hmm. they will remember it and they could sing it back. Whoa. You know? Huh. Music is core to a lot of teaching. You remember your ABCs, you learned it in a song. Right. And, and going back even further, like thousands of years ago, they used to chant. Yes. Yeah. That before the written word, yeah. the way that they transcribed the, the words of the Buddha was they actually like chanted it for thousands of years. Basically. Exactly. And that's and, how you remember things. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, that's really cool. When did you first um, get into music? Because you said four years old. Yeah. What do you remember? Do you have a memory of like? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. My, my mother, uh, she's the one who chose cello for me. Um, I was in Montessori school. There was a violin teacher. Hmm. Um, she didn't mean this, but my mom was like, do you have anything that's more manly? My sister plays violin, my dad. My brother also plays cello. Oh. And then she was like, oh, yeah, I teach the cello, too. Her name's Bonnie Bull. That was my first cello teacher. Um, and I started at four years old. And the reason why I did it, going back to language, is my dad, who's black, also speaks Spanish, Portuguese, that he taught himself. He and my mother had this philosophy that they wanted to give things to their kids that nothing, nobody could take away from them but themselves, which was language and music. Mm. So when I was a baby, they only spoke to me in Spanish. So when I went to school, up until I was six, five, six years old, I couldn't speak English. And they gave me music at four years old. Mm. Um, mm. So I'm going to keep talking about language. So I started in the Suzuki method. You familiar with the yeah, Suzuki method? Yeah, your father was teaching you. Yeah. Whoa, that's crazy. The Suzuki method is based off of the philosophy that all Japanese children know how to speak Japanese, where every child in Japan knows how to speak Japanese. Sounds very simple. But if you think about that, um, when we learn languages, we don't learn how to read first. Mm. We speak. Mm -hmm. So similar with Suzuki, they teach you how to play by immersing you, by listening to the pieces every day, learn how to play the notes, and then you learn the theory. Mm. And so that's how I learned and until I became um, more professional. I started working with Wolfgang Laufer and started getting doing a lot of studio musician work and doing getting connected to a lot of celebrities and um, the rest is history and now mm. I played cello. But it's because of my mom. Um, I do think that it wasn't just like a random instrument for me. It's definitely my instrument, which I do have a talent for it. Cool. Um, so I'm grateful. That's for my mom doing that. Yeah, and so you you had this early early life as a creative musician, and then somewhere along the way you got into tech, and you mentioned a little bit about how you kind of uh, realizes that you needed business skills in order to uh, do something. Can you talk a little bit more of that and like how you kind of like transitioned into this uh, tech world? Kind of yeah, thing? so I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, that I didn't know black people were minority. Huh. Um, as a cellist, though, I was always interacting in different worlds. So it never was really weird for me. It's uh-huh. just like I was in different worlds. Uh-huh. Um, as a classic musician, you often come in contact with business people. And they told me that when you achieve a certain level of success, you're forced to become your own brand. And a lot of artists forget. Like a lot of artists don't realize that and they reject business. Mm. And so the reason I started thinking about it is because I didn't want to be a starving artist. Mm. Um, and I read this post 
talking about um, in order to be a successful artist, you need a thousand true fans. Mm. A true fan is defined as someone that spent a hundred dollars on your product, mm. whether it's going to a show, blah blah blah. Um, and so that's when I decided that I was going to learn how to be an investment banker because my sister's violin teacher's husband mm. is an executive at Home Depot and was a private equity guy. And he said, if you want to learn business fast, be an investment banker. Mm. Um, I, I, I like that. I like that because most people go into it because it's kind of just like that's the thing you do when you get mm -hmm. out of a good school is you mm -hmm. just go into that and you get your mm -hmm. ass worked for like almost no reason except for the money. But you end it with an intention, which is oh, yeah. like, I mean, key. you're going to work hundreds of hours a week. Yeah. Not just because you're going to make a lot of money, uh -huh. but because you're going to master a skill. And that's another debatable point because you don't really learn that much after you have the financial modeling after a certain point. Mm. That's a debatable point as well. But mm -hmm. I would say that I learned a lot of things about corporate politics mm -hmm. and playing the game and perception mm -hmm. and bonuses and mm -hmm. things like that, working in banking, mm -hmm. negotiation, mm -hmm. how to work really hard, how to get a lot of things done in an hour, uh -huh. the importance of formatting, mm -hmm. um, how to tell a story, mm -hmm. um, working as a banker. Mm -hmm. And how is it now, like going from investment banking now into tech? I would say investment banking presentations are way more detailed than huh. startup presentations <laughs> that have like one picture on them. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, so it's very difficult for me sometimes to like put less on a page because I'm used to putting so much on one page that's rich um, that should speak for itself without me having to describe it. But I would say banking taught me how to diligence mm. companies mm. quickly. I can mm. like look at a company and I can break it down very easily, not just them like who their competitors are, their position in the space, how the founders are thinking about doing things, mm. whether they're uniquely qualified, what the challenges are, whether it's a need to have problem mm. or you know a want for people. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that has helped me not just identify companies that I've helped other venture capitalists source, it's also helped me um, identify people, mm. read people. Mm -hmm. I know that sounds very... Um, I don't know, manipulative, learning how to read people. Mm. But when you're interacting with a lot of people, not just as a banker, but also as a musician, you're going to meet a lot of people mm -hmm. and you're going to get a sense of different people's energies mm. and different people are going to become your fans. Mm -hmm. They're going to love you. They're going to want to spend time with you. So you have to learn how to communicate with them in different ways. Mm. And so being an artist and being a banker Top and growing up in Atlanta mm -hmm. with the global perspective helped me learn how to interact with all those different groups. Mm -hmm. What is the importance of stress when it comes to your ability to create something? How do you view stress? Is there a difference between positive and negative stress? Uh, how does stress motivate you? Those, those are the types of things I'm, I'm interested in. I think this is a fantastic question. Um, and I think the reason why I love it is because... Being a banker taught me the amount that I can accomplish and my way of work is still that way. Uh, yeah, uh -huh. <laughs> I still go hard mm. and it's very hard for me not to expect that from other people mm. that I work with, uh -huh. um, including my brother, who sometimes thinks I'm a taskmaster, to be honest with uh. you. Um, I've learned to not be like that. Um, I think I'm a hybrid of my mother and my father where my mom stays up very late. My father wakes up very early. Mm. 
And lately, I've been doing both, mm. where early mornings, late nights. My normal routine, though, like as I told you before, before I started a new company, is wake up at 5 a.m., you know, start the day for myself, pray, meditate, whatever you want to call it, mm. go to the gym. Either it's the regular gym, Muay Thai Jiu-Jitsu, and then like start the slow flow of emails and then hit it. You mm. know, if I get up early for 5 a.m., you know, by, you know, 12 p.m., you've accomplished a lot. Mm. Um, so, for me, going back to your question about mm. stress, um, there's a great quote, and I've said it on other podcasts, is, a comfort zone's a beautiful place, but nothing ever grows there. <laughs> That's great. Right? Yeah. yeah. And if I'm ever comfortable... Mm. I get antsy, mm-hmm. mm. right? Yeah. It's very important for me to have that drive that's continuing mm. to move humanity forward mm-hmm. because I know that my life is bigger than my own, mm. right? Mm-hmm. I'm dedicated to serve mm. people, mm. right? Um, that's me personally. That's why I feel. Um, and I could die tomorrow. And I don't want to die not serving people. Mm. Mm. Even if I'm taking a break. Mm. Even if I'm coming up with breakthrough ideas to continue to serve people. Like, mm. it should all be oriented to that. Mm. Which is why I'm so hard on my brother. <laughs> <laughs> you gave me a couple of good avenues to go there. <laughs> One I would love to talk about is the difference between prayer and meditation. Uh, and then... Mm. Um, uh, now I've forgotten the other one, so let's that. Is that is an amazing <laughs> question. Yeah. Um, for me, mm. my answer to that question is they're the same thing. Mm. Except some people will say you're praying to a God and some people will say you're not. Mm. For me, I pray to a God. Um, I believe that we were created. Um, we could even just say a higher power so we don't bucket it into a religion. Mm. Um and there's a reason why we all have similar features to ourselves, even though we're all uniquely different and things are interconnected. And I'm not going to go too deep into like that route, yeah. but um, I should be dead right now. Uh. And there's multiple times in my life, I never really said this publicly, where um, when I almost died in these different situations, paramedics would come and say, you must come from a praying family because you should have died tonight. Or the complete car is totaled and the airbags deployed and not come out unscathed. Or all kinds of other things that we don't have to talk about that I almost get T-boned. Or just, just things that are not in my control mm-hmm. that help me realize that it's precious. <laughs> time is precious. Yeah. And someone used the word, and this is going to sound arrogant when I say this word, but they said, you're chosen. Hmm. Once I started thinking that way, everything started changing for me. Hmm. Where I was like, wow, like, I should be gone at like 22, um, but I'm still here for something. I need to figure out why I'm here hmm. to do that. Hmm. And so when I pray... My prayers are oriented to be like, all right, 
I have my own plans, but I know I'm here for a reason. Please help me make sure that my plans are aligned with whatever my purpose is Mm. and Mm. that that mission is accomplished Mm -hmm. when I die or whenever my time is to go. Mm. Or mm-hmm. work on another mission. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It doesn't yeah. always have to be death. Essentially, guidance, like guidance, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. and communication. That's what that brings up to me. Basically, is that you're communicating with whatever it is, whether it's God, higher power, or some mm-hmm. of this intelligence, um, mm-hmm. uh, and so you're communicating with that, and you're talking with it almost. And for me, meditation is like the listening aspect of that, where you're kind mm-hmm. of where you're listening, where you can kind of get that guidance, or because mm-hmm. because. In my own experience, and this is all going to start sounding. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, what yeah. what does meditation mean to you, and then what is your uh-huh. thoughts on the difference between prayer and meditation? Yeah, the <laughs> it's a it's a huge question, and for me, meditation is something that is always my definition of it is always changing. So my definition of meditation three years ago would have been you sit in a room twenty minutes in half lotus, uh, and you pay attention to your breath. When you lose attention to your breath, you come back to the breath. And you do that over and over and over again. You can use numbers and you can use, but it's all, that's, that's meditation. Mm-hmm. In the last year, I've discovered that is concentration. Uh, ah. That is not meditation. That is, that is a technique of concentration, which brings upon meditation afterwards. Oh, um, I so, like that. Yeah. I like that. And so then you get into what is meditation? Well, meditation, I can't talk. I can't tell you what meditation is because meditation is non-conceptual. It's like ah. something that, like that, that it's the, the state of being that, you know, as a kid, when you found the cello, like, and yeah. You, you get That's in the meditation. zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. can't describe it. It's a different feeling. Yeah. So I can. And this is part of the reason I started the podcast is because we can only discover it in creation as we're talking about it, but we're mm. never going to be able to put put words on it in a way that's going to succinctly mm-hmm. wrap it up. So I love it. I can't wait to share this with people. Cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, and then prayer. And so for my own, I'm going to go. Um, so uh, I grew up. My mother was a minister, uh, mm-hmm. and so I grew up in a religious, uh, mm-hmm. partly religious house. Uh, and so uh, uh, I would go to church every day, uh, Sundays, and I was bored out of my fucking mm-hmm. mind. I mm-hmm. was so bored. I had ADD, mm-hmm. and I was just I couldn't sit in the pews. The pews were painful, mm-hmm. uh, and like it all it was. I have a lot of pain associated with with the idea of prayer, with the idea of of, of God. Uh, mm-hmm. All these different things, and mm-hmm. they're recently coming back into into a kind of acceptance of all these different things. Mm-hmm. But prayer is the speaking aspect, the communication. It's like when I'm you you said it pretty well. Is essentially yeah. like like it's just this this give me guidance for where what do I do? What, like yeah. and and like and 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 this is the interesting thing about yoga is that the original yoga movement aspect of yoga was a prayer in motion. So mm. so the yoga poses. That's amazing. Yeah, we're just like. Uh, devotional prayers basically um, and that was the original movement um, very and, interesting yeah I, lo- I love um, the word that you keep saying around guidance mm. um, and going back to what we said around I love also prayer motion I love all of that um, the going back to what we said about things being being beyond our control mm. in the beginning mm-hmm. because I've always thought about whenever I get rejected or point in from something that was beyond my control I always if I did my best at it I always saw it as like God's compass pointing mm-hmm. me in the right place or you could call it a supreme being whatever mm-hmm. you or universe pointing you in the right direction mm-hmm. um, so I love that mm-hmm. that's good guidance mm-hmm. that's a good answer yeah cool mm-hmm. and so I'm really interested now that we're talking about it because 
you're in tech. I've been in tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father's an investor, so it's like, you know, I've been around it my whole life. Um, and then particularly the last 10 years, I've been a lot more into it. And, uh, and there's a lot of people in tech who will find this conversation to be totally, mm-hmm. like, not... Mm-hmm. Just, I kind of skip over it or something like that. Mm-hmm. Do you ever have conversations with other people about this stuff? Like, Yeah, I mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I look for people like this. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talked about where I used to live before. Uh, which is Agape. Mm. Um, I was with Justin Rosenstein. Mm. I was with ECR, who I talked about on my podcast before. I was with uh, Perry, who's also fine. Like a bunch of other people that think deeply about mindfulness, mm-hmm. um, think deeply about yoga, think deeply about higher powers. Um, so, yes. And then also, every Sabbath, every sundown Friday, sundown Saturday, um, since I've been here, which mm. was September 2014, mm. not that long ago, but a good amount of time. Every weekend, I tried to be in nature, mm. and I would go by myself at first, but then a lot of people were like, hey, you want to hang out on the weekend? I was like, yeah, if you want to, you can come out to nature with me, and then people started coming through, and when I go to nature, I don't talk about work. Sometimes mm-hmm. I talk about work because I love work. Mm-hmm. I love work because it's not like work because it's what I was made to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Sometimes that creeps in, so I'm not going to lie. But overall, we just get to know each other mm. on a deeper level, on mm. a personal level mm. versus a professional level. Mm. Mm. I think that's very important because we're in Silicon Valley where there's thousands of events happening all the time, all these mm. ne- networking events, these panels, and people are just handing out business cards, which I'm very good at. I'm mm. very good at getting connections. Mm-hmm. connections. But then my friend Jane Yu, who got me my first job at art school Mm. she said somebody came up to me Ruben and said that you're one of the most networked persons people in the world and I said that made me very sad because Ruben is not a transactional person and I don't want to hear anybody talk about you like that again Mm. so you need to work on changing that perception (laughs) I was like that's dope feedback so that's when I started thinking deeply about how a lot of people talk about the emotional bank account right Mm -hmm. they talk Mm -hmm. about um this is something Justin talked to me about as well. Mm-hmm. He was like, yeah, like, emotional bank account is cool because, like, you think about, all right, Stu, I'm going to put in, Stuart, I can mm-hmm. let you, mm-hmm. sorry. Yeah. I could put in this many deposits into your emotional bank account. And the reason I'm doing it is because if I ever ask you for something, I don't want to be in a deficit mm-hmm. to make sure that, like, uh, yeah, there could be problems with that. Mm-hmm. That's cool to keep in mind, but I shouldn't be doing things to with fill that, your yeah. emotional bank account with an expectation that I'm going to be mm-hmm. withdrawing and like taking from. I should expect nothing in return. Mm-hmm. So then I started shifting my mindset where I'm just going to listen to people and get to know who they are on a personal level, in addition to professional level, yeah. and do everything that I can uh-huh. to help them in that regard with no expectation of return. And since you've made that shift, how does it feel now, your life? Oh, like, <laughs> way better. Yeah. Like Then I started going through one day, even this week, about who I know professionally in certain areas, uh. and it was in the thousands, mm. bro. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah. And I'm talking about, like, very well-respected people that are... The only reason I know all these people for the podcast, I could call them tomorrow and they'd be on a podcast tomorrow mm-hmm. because they know that I hold them down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I'm not using them. And this is, goes into very interesting things. Uh, first of which is basically, it uh, reminds me of 
Tibetan Buddhists, monks in monasteries will create these masterpieces of art uh, mm-hmm. out of sand uh, with the knowledge that at the end they're going to wipe it away. And so they do this. That is awesome. And so it's like there it is a practice, a ritual essentially of doing work just for the sake of doing doing this as a meditative aspect. I need to look this up. Yeah. So it, once you and, and then so Hindu Buddhist, a lot of these guys talk about basically doing all of your work from a standpoint of having no expectation of what that work will lead to. Um, wow. So, yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot because to your point, I have gone to painstaking lengths uh. to help people. Mm. And this sounds very braggadocious, but I have gone through painstaking lengths to help people without like, and a lot of people are confused about why I'm doing it. And I just believe in that person. Yeah. Like the ultimate success for me is for me to like give enough of myself to another person to see them become better than me. Mm-hmm. Like that's awesome. And I want to help a billion people in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. And we're in Silicon Valley where things scale. Way, yeah. I graduated in 2010. I've been working for seven years. Mm-hmm. Now that I've built this new thing, like I do think that we can like accelerate humanity and reach a billion people in seven, ten years. Mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. And that's a crazy thing because now we've got the internet, which has essentially already reached the three billion people, mm-hmm. and now it's the foundations for these types of ideas and 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 influence to now spread rapidly. Oh yeah, although when we get to global connectivity, it's going to be very interesting. Although it's now interesting because now Facebook has now kind of like put a walled garden on it, so mm-hmm. it's 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 they've they've separated this one part of the internet, and now they control all of that going through. And with the fact that they've now changed their algorithm so that. You, mm-hmm. you so that you only see things that are your immediate friends are talking mm-hmm. in. You now don't get access to that broader network, basically yeah. not as much. Yeah, uh, I, I I I agree with that. Uh, I would also say there's the level of decentralization mm-hmm. that's happening as well, mm-hmm. um, which is a whole other subject that I'm not an expert on. Uh-huh. But I do think that that's going to be interesting when it comes to access. We haven't reached global connectivity yet, but that will be interesting. Mm. There is a lot of opportunities. There's, there's also trade-offs with global connectivity around mm. being present with each other. Mm-hmm. I don't think tech is always the solution to enable to what's happening already and mm-hmm. facilitating those interactions between people. Um, but yes, centralization is a concern. Mm. Um, there's a lot of power mm. um, that's locked up in these big corporations versus governments. There's a lot of concerns with government as well it's a whole nother conversation related to immigration and mm. um, ice and things like that that i do have problems with but mm. are outside of the scope of this podcast mm. Mm. do you want to get into it at all or would you rather not um i don't want to get into the political side of mm-hmm. things what about like diversity and like yeah um, let's have a conversation about mm-hmm. diversity mm. um i'm pretty adamant about not branding myself as a diversity guy even though as a person of color, I am pretty passionate about these things. Mm. Um, We talk a lot about race. We talk a lot about sex. We don't talk a lot about um, diversity of religion. Mm. We don't talk a lot about diversity of um, disability. Mm. We don't talk a lot about diversity of age. And the other thing that we don't talk about once you think about these different buckets, it's class issues. So, like, we can talk about black people, for example, but there's different classes that people subscribe to mm. or that are part of. And you'd be surprised how many people, not just in the black community, that are diverse, 
that are part of these class structures that keep their own people out. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. on one side of things. Mm -hmm. On the other side of things, um, there's people that are obviously from different races that keep other people out. And I wouldn't say that they do it actively. This is just my opinion. I think that, for example, you're going to a wedding this weekend, right? That's mm -hmm. your childhood best friend. That's a circle that you grew up in, mm -hmm. right? Life is a circle, mm -hmm. right? When you're born, you're born into a family, or if you don't have a family, a group of friends, some sphere of people that influences you, or even two people that influence you significantly to go to the next level. Um, so when you think about that, if I am a, a team of entrepreneurs, which is also a circle, that started a company that sold successfully, and now we're the new venture capitalists and the new entrepreneurs and the new talent, where are we going to go to hire our first people? Mm, where are we going to go to get our money? Mm -hmm. Where If we tap out those networks, where are we going to go? We're going to go to the circles that they know and just kind of keep going. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so mm -hmm. I would say like, if you're white and you don't know how to find black people, it's because you don't know any black people. Uh -huh. It's okay. Yeah. If you're black, you know, same type of thing. If you're in a certain type of class structure, you don't know how to communicate to different places. Going back to language, you got to understand people's mm -hmm. languages. Mm -hmm. What I think is the craziest thing to me related to this whole thing, because like I've organized the Congressional Black Caucus uh, Tech 2020 Initiative. Mm -hmm. I've brought together the biggest leaders in these areas. And after listening to a lot of these different challenges, and this is not pointing fingers to anybody. I want to be very clear about that. Because um, there's amazing people like Silicon Valley Rising, uh, Working Partnerships USA, that are focusing on this that I'm about to go in on. There are millions of people here mm -hmm. in the Bay Area mm -hmm. that fit all of the buckets that I just described mm -hmm. that we're not focused on. Mm -hmm. How do you have millions of people in San Jose mm -hmm. that are diverse, mm -hmm. that are right in the heart of Silicon Valley, mm -hmm. that have no idea what's happening inside of Silicon Valley, yep. which is part of the reason why we started the podcast, uh -huh. have no idea how to get in, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But some of these people technically do have their foot in the door. Mm. They're mm -hmm. janitors, mm -hmm. they're cafeteria workers, uh -huh. they're child laborers. Well, that can't even eat the food that they're serving uh. to the starter employees that they're getting for free. Uh. That can't even get the childcare benefits, etc. But you think about the companies, the companies are training their employees for free. Mm. The janitors as well? Or no, no yeah, yeah. that's the point. <laughs> yeah. How are you going to train uh -huh. the employees for free? Yeah. The janitors don't get the benefits that the employees are getting or the training. Mm. But they are doing a lot of work in there. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not also completely blaming corporations, but you're sitting on a gold mine. Mm. Mm -hmm. Gold mine, if you want to think about it from a dollars and cents perspective. But I would say you're you're sitting on, I think the world's largest untapped resource is human potential. Mm -hmm. A lot mm -hmm. of people, most people I would argue are actually doing what they don't want to do in yeah. life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and going back to these people that live here, um, I think corporations can do that. I think that Governments can do that. Nonprofits can do that. Um, it's a difficult challenge to address, but like you don't really have to look too many places. Mm -hmm. um, I think that at the mid and senior level, mm -hmm. these people are going to get jobs on their own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They don't really need your support, and I know that's what you're focused on because mm -hmm. that's going to be immediately hireable right now. Mm -hmm. 
And as a startup, you need to do that right now. Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. But if you really want to move some stuff, and you say you move a lot of stuff and you're donating a lot of things, don't donate $1.2 billion to diversity like you have for the last five years mm-hmm. and get no numbers changed. And the reason why numbers aren't changing is because most of the money is going towards events and celebrities mm-hmm. and a room full of tech uh-huh. people that already know about tech uh-huh. when the room should be full of those people uh-huh. from San Jose, Oakland, East Palo Alto. They have no idea what's going on mm-hmm. so that they can learn. If you think about going back to religion and mm. spirituality, mm. if you want to spread the gospel, mm. you shouldn't be talking to people that know the gospel mm. already. Right? <laughs> that brings up so many interesting avenues we could go. First, we were talking before the podcast about how I first got, got started in startups and how uh, my dad was an investor, but I kind of didn't get into it at all. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Brazil and I met my co-founder. Yeah. My co-founder is a perfect example of someone who just kind of through the internet was able to tap himself into Silicon Valley in a way mm-hmm. that was just like, uh, amazing. Only, talk about it. Only predicated on the internet, and so yeah. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll go. I'll, I'll talk about what I said earlier, which is essentially he um, he. It was the first wave when Dave McClure started to go to all these different uh, mm-hmm. startup ecosystems, and Brazil was a big focus for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, and so they started doing events all over the world. And uh, my co-founder, uh, he started to go to these events and kind of figure out about technology. He's the first person I heard Bitcoin back mm-hmm. of from in like 2013. Like like uh, and I heard about it in Atlanta. About in Atlanta. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And so he. Um, but he so he was from the upper middle class, so mm-hmm. he did have he did have um, a lot of resources that that a lot of people in Brazil don't have access to. Mm-hmm. But he uh, managed to just kind of figure it out, and he's like one of these people you're talking about, basically, mm-hmm. who was able to kind of like break into Silicon Valley. And it's really interesting to kind of think about like why, what was it about him? Because he was always learning on the internet, basically, mm-hmm. and he was he was just mapping the internet in his in his world, and it was a very mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. interesting thing. So I love it. I yeah. love it. I mean. It's- I'm not going to go into too much on me, but that, it's a very similar thing that I did mm. to get in tech and also to get into banking. Mm. Same thing, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Figure I didn't go to an Ivy League school. Mm. I had a very low GPA because mm. I was traveling and performing music, not caring about my grades because I thought everything that mattered was just how I could perform, mm. not what it said on paper. Mm. Um, mm. But in order to hack into the system, I had to like know the ecosystem, know the language, mm. send the emails, crash the career fairs, and get that job. Yeah. And how have you been? If you, I want to, I'd love to talk about like uh, breaking into startups. How how do you help those other people do that? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So, um, when I moved here, um, I bought a one way ticket, had a place to live for a month, and three weeks later, I found a job. I wrote a story about that job um, called Breaking Into Startups. Mm-hmm. That name actually came from a course that I took to get into banking Mm. called breaking into wall street Mm. and breaking into wall street helped thousands if not tens or hundreds of thousands of people get into banking i think it's tens of thousands because there's not many investment bankers um and i wrote a blog about how i got into banking Mm. and i actually helped over 50 people get into big investment banks that i've never met in person Mm. become bankers Mm. um so when i launched breaking into startups all the big venture capitalists tweeted it mark andreessen chris dixon Bozzi, Jeff Lewis, all these huge people were tweeting about it. It got in the news, and I started getting thousands of emails. They didn't know it wasn't just me. I had my buddies, Archer and Timor, mm. who were in Atlanta saying they wanted to learn how to code. Uh-huh. Our plan was to do this together. We wanted to start a company over there, but realized 
software is eating the world yeah. and we needed to get tech skills and mm. we needed a team that was technical. Mm. So we wrote the reality of breaking the startups and mm. the first product you build is yourself. Mm -hmm. And that also went viral mm. and got thousands of people reaching out. So while we were working at these different startups, we decided to work separately because we wanted to come back together and learn from these different ecosystems and download our brains together. Um, we realized that um, a lot of our time was going towards talking to people because we didn't like not responding to an email. Um, and that's a whole nother conversation. Mm -hmm. yep. And then we um, would have coffee meetings with people that had multiple jobs but didn't have time to read online. Mm -hmm. And because they might have kids at home and in addition to those jobs and but they had a commute so that's when we launched the podcast mm. uh, because people could listen mm. and also when Argentina were in boot camps that were very similar to investment banking it's mm. very grueling mentally mm. my brother just finished one mm. um, having the psychological motivation to push through mm. is very important mm. Um, mm. and so um after doing all those different types of things, that's when we launched the podcast. And then we realized that people that live here, going back to that demographic of people I described before, that live here but have no idea what's going on in tech, except that they used to live in San Francisco paying 700 a month, and now they're fully gentrified and have no idea what's going on. Mm. And I'm part of this tech movement, by the way, so I can't completely like say that I have no part in this. Yeah. Um, but they ha they have no part in uh, it, and they want to have a part in yeah. it. Some people and do. They have no idea. They have no idea how to do it. Yeah. So we demystified that, and what Timor and Archer did is they created a career GPS system. So when people engage with their content, it wouldn't just get a sense of how many listeners we have. It would get a sense of who they are, mm -hmm. where they wanted to go, and it would point them to the teaching programs for the jobs that they want. We got access to all those teaching programs and started getting exclusive resources for them and help thousands of people mm. get jobs in tech so mm. far, which mm -hmm. has been cool. What do you think the importance of, because I often find like I've, 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 I've had a lot of opportunity in my life to not do things at certain periods of my life. So mm -hmm. just to like, take a couple months off and go to do yoga and like just do this this thing. And like that is a key aspect to mm -hmm. who I am. And, and how, how important is that having time totally sabbatical or anything like that? And then how do people like that? Because that seems important to have that break from the grind, from the three-day grind. Like, is there anything that can be done in that in that sense? Or yeah, for other people. Or yeah, for, for other people in the Bay Area who who are like, because I I'll, I'll I'll give you the full. I have I have an idea of like a scholarship, but instead of a scholarship to go go to university or something like that, as a scholarship to just quit all your jobs and kind of just like. I mean, Peter Thiel tried to do that. Oh, okay, right? yeah, that's true. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which uh -huh. is, I mean, the thing uh -huh. is, there's some great people like Zach Latta mm -hmm. who's running. Hat Club, I'm a good friend with him. He's doing very well. Uh, a lot of people have gone on and done well in that regard. Mm -hmm. I would say most people don't have the luxury of being able to quit yep. and take time off. Mm -hmm. um, but to your point, mm -hmm. yes, mm -hmm. you cannot come up with breakthrough ideas like equals MC squared mm -hmm. without having thinking space. Yep. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of amazing people in Brazil, mm -hmm. locally, mm -hmm. all over the world that are geniuses. Mm -hmm that would be able to come up with these breakthrough ideas if they had just the time to think. Mm. And I actually think, in addition to human potential, mm. one of our biggest untapped resources mm. is leveraging our time well. Mm. And it's equal That's, for everyone. And technology is making that easier. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, it could make it yeah, easier. Uh -huh. But I actually think that because 
it facilitates mm-hmm. things. You just clutter your life more, yeah. not realizing that that is so valuable mm-hmm. and what you can do with that time. Mm-hmm. And a great movie to watch, mm-hmm. since we talked about movies before this, that I wanted to talk about is In Time. Mm-hmm. I know it's Justin Timberlake, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. that movie is amazing because time is the currency in the movie. And the rich people got nothing but time. Mm-hmm. But the poor people got to run to place to place because they're running out of time and they got to exchange it with each other to get more time and live. Mm. Amazing movie to get perspectives on how things work, power structures and things like that. It's something I very, I think deeply about because I like to think about how a world would be, how would we exchange value if money didn't exist? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a great question and I do not have an answer for that Mm -hmm. question. How would we exchange value if money didn't exist? Well, I think it would go back to your point about capital, essentially, of emotional and capital, almost spiritual capital. There's this great book by Charles Eisenstein um, okay. called The Ascent of Humanity. Okay. And he talks, that was, he, that was where the first time I, I got this idea that there are other t- types of capital besides financial capital. That sounds amazing. Really Say good. the name again. Uh, Ascent of Humanity. Ascent by, of Humanity. By Charles Eisenstein. I'm getting that book tonight. It's a mind-blowing That's book. That's uh, amazing. And he talks a lot of, about a lot of different stuff. But one of the ideas was essentially financial capital exists but then there are a whole bunch of other capitals that are really really important wow people don't forget don't know about and one that them, sounds like yeah. it might be my favorite book it, it is yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's crazy because he also talks a lot of he's oh, um talks a lot about a uh, uh, apocalypse basically so it's uh, interesting it's a, it's a, it's interesting. a uh, scary sometimes fear i mean fear, a lot a lot of things are fear-based yeah. i mean i uh-huh. think yeah um, singularity, uh-huh, yep. you know, the resurrection, like yep. apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, my prophecy 2012. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's there, and we're in this age where it's just like a lot of that's coming up, and, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. some people say we're going back to a biblical kind of like, like mm-hmm. it's just about to get biblical, mm-hmm. but yeah. Uh, yeah, and like thinking about power, mm-hmm. you know, what's crazy to me. I know this is, I'm just going in tangents. Um, so this is something that's interesting, right? So if you go to the African American History Museum in DC, mm. the core theme throughout the entire thing is the church. Mm. Slave rebellions, mm. HBCUs, mm. Um, like leadership institutions, banking institutions, um, a lot of the biggest leaders, Dr. Martin Luther King, mm. um, Malcolm X, not the church, but like the mosque, Nation yeah, of Islam, things like that. A lot of the, uh, the greatest leaders have been um, huh. good speakers that came up through the church um going i know this sounds like i'm not talking about what we're talking about no it's all part of it since i've been in tech something that i've ignored kind of until recently is that my sabbath practice had become a ritual Mm. Mm. where it was mindless Mm. Mm -hmm. right and where I was just checking a box to be like, oh yeah, I went to church today. And I would space out and then leave. Mm. But then I started paying attention to what people were talking about and um, it was good. Mm. Um, I, and other things started happening. And I started tapping deeply into where I grew up. And I started realizing, wow, these churches that just this one group of churches, Adventist Church, is in 202 countries. Mm. Um, the churches here are actually like 
different, like the heart of the city, San Francisco, Oakland, like blah, blah, blah. They use one day out of the week. Hmm. The rest of the week they're not used. It's huge buildings. Mm-hmm. And even on that week, sometimes they're not even full. Mm-hmm. Right? Is there a way that the church, not just the adventures, but just churches in general, mm-hmm. can teach the community mm-hmm. skills? Mm-hmm. This is already happening. So so, so there's a, uh, uh, it's the dancing. Dancing is the skill. But, but uh, yes. uh, I've started dancing for the last nine months in San uh-huh. Francisco and the only places that these dances exist are in churches. So mostly Orthodox churches. There's Zouk. Uh, oh, yeah. I know about Zouk. That's Brazilian. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Brazilians all last night. Uh, it was in an Orthodox Russian church. And there's another one, Mission Fusion, on Saturdays at another Orthodox church. Very interesting. Uh, Static Dance is in a, is in a former church. Um, so they're all in churches that are being re- repositioned. So I think there's a huge thing Dude, there. Essentially, yeah. we work infrastructure uh-huh. without mm-hmm. bleeding billions of dollars. Uh-huh. No, I know that sounds like shots fired, but I like what what uh-huh. we work is doing. But uh-huh. like, who's thinking about the churches? And like, that's why I started. Uh-huh. And a lot of times, the things that connect us are those circles that we started in. So I'm in the Adventist circle. If I say I'm Adventist, they're gonna rock with you. Uh-huh. If you say you're Jewish, you're gonna connect with other Jewish people. Uh-huh. Muslim, same thing. Yep. Ethiopian, Brazilian, you're gonna tap into that community because that's fam. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, food for thought. So this is not something you're working on. This is just an idea that you just had. Yes, okay. I'm, I am working on oh, okay. some stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I don't want to speak for the Adventist Church, mm-hmm. um, but I'm working on some things mm-hmm. where my brother, who is Adventist, his friends who are Adventist, they just graduated from coding boot camps. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're helping a lot of people in the Adventist community to get the skills that they want mm-hmm. to f- ultimately fulfill, not just their own purpose, but mm-hmm. to help other people achieve their own goals mm-hmm. at scale. Mm-hmm. This is so interesting. I feel like we could talk for like 30 minutes, but I wanted, uh, I wanted to, uh, it reminds me of one of my best friends. He, I met him in Brazil and, mm-hmm. uh, and he, um, uh, the reason he went to Brazil was he was a Mormon, uh, and he was a Mormon missionary. So we got a Mormon guy living here with us too. Interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so he <laughs> Who just finished Epic Academy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So the, the part of the training for the Mormon missionaries is that you go to the other country, you spend about three yep. months in language instruction, mm-hmm. um, and you, uh, and you have one other, one other person who you're paired with. And basically mm-hmm. those, those two people, uh, keep themselves, close to God, basically. They're mm-hmm. both the check to mm-hmm. make sure you do it's it. It's like peer programming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Peer programming for Mormonism. And so they learn the language and then they go off and start doing this missionary stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was really funny because my friend, he uh, uh, he um, uh, was grew up Mormon and everything like that, Went did this thing, and then Brazil converted him to hedonism, basically. Uh, Interesting. <laughs> and, so he, and so he quit the Mormon church. And then I met him in, I met him in, in, in Rio. Um, wow, that's uh, interesting. Yeah. So the, 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 the whole... I feel uh, it's very interesting. Well, that's now. interesting because my brother went on a mission trip. My sister went on a mission trip. He um, taught math and English in Honduras hmm. for a year. I forgot where my sister went. She did a lot of amazing things too. She's about to have a baby. Hmm. Like, oh, I can't announce it. Well, she's gonna have a baby on Sunday. Okay. Um. So that's coming up soon anyway. So this is coming out later. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So congrats. I'm an uncle now. Oh. So in the future, I'm speaking in the future. Cool. Um. But anyway, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we got about five minutes left. And like, what um, what is one thing that you want people to understand about what you're working on, or maybe like how to make themselves more creative, or Kind of just your wisdom. I'm looking for craft wisdom. So people from the uh, Nicholas Nassim Talib talks a lot about how uh, 
people, a lot of people write and talk about things, but they, people who have enough time write about things that they don't know enough about to, uh, and so, but the real wisdom comes from people creating stuff. And so I want to get access with something to the, you know, that nobody else knows that's a product of your unique experiences. Hmm. As I'm thinking about that, I do want to say something to the people, which is, um, if you feel like no one else in the world believes in you, I want them all to know that I believe in you. I believe in them. I believe in people. And if you want to put me to the test, you can reach out to me directly and I'll prove it. Um, even if you don't want to reach out to me, I want you to understand that you all have superpowers and gifts that are deep inside. And this is something I was thinking about today. It's going to sound really weird, but you know the X-Men, mm-hmm. right? So the X-Men like are these like these mutants and there's Professor X that's training them to have these skills. And then like going back to this the whole diversity in tech thing, right? Like the normal people are sitting here trying to like attack the mutants that are actually like really good people that want to save the world. But are weird. But are weird. Yeah. Uh-huh. And there's more mutants that exist out here in the world that we don't know about that are also X-Men. Mm. So essentially you may feel like you don't belong, but you're actually a superhero. Mm. And you just haven't found it. You just haven't found it. And all the people that are saying that you don't have the skills or you don't have the experience or you don't belong, they're scared scared of your power. Uh, And recognize that. mm. Um, And even when you do have power, that you still got to go through training, Mm. like working with a Professor X Mm. that can guide you and get you through to the next level. Mm. Um, So... That's something. I would say another, th- and, I, and I'm trying to get to where the things that I believe that nobody else believes. That's a hard one. <laughs> the other thing that I like to think about is there's a Shakespeare quote that says, "All the world's a stage, and all the men and women are merely players. And one man in his or her time plays many parts. His acts being seven ages. If you operate in life thinking about yourself on a stage, like you and me right now." And we are watching ourselves in the audience on screen. How would we be feeling about what's happening? We'll be cheering ourselves on. What would we? Will we be um, hoping that we do something next? Like, what's the action items we want people to take after this? Um, that's one thing. But then I would say taking another step back to this movie of our life. Mm-hmm. If you are the director in this film, mm-hmm. what would you want to be happening? And so. Um, we are the film directors of our own lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's something that I believe that nobody else believes. Mm-hmm. And just be mindful that there's some things that you can control, some things that you can't control. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just got to relax, mm-hmm. stay focused, mm-hmm. and always be ready for war. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Ruben, for coming on the show. Thank you, man. Yeah, And how can people reach out to you? Ruben at breakingintostars.com oh. or... Just Ruben Harris on every social media platform, Instagram, um, Twitter, or where I'm most active. Uh, but if you just Google my name, you can find a lot of things. It's R-U-B-E-N-H-A-R-R-I-S. Cool. Peace.